Welcome to Path to CytusCon. It is the podcast for developers who love Postgres, where we discuss the human side of open source, databases, Postgres, and the many PG extensions. Um, the podcast is now available on all your podcast platforms, and you can get to past episodes and get links um, to all the platforms at aka.ms slash path to CytusCon, all one word. Uh, transcripts are included in the episode pages on Transistor 2, and I'm Claire Giordano. And I'm Pino DeCandia. Today's topic is, you're probably already using Postgres, what you need to know. We have two great guests. Our first guest is Chelsea Dole, staff software engineer at fintech startup Brex. This past year, Chelsea's made the rounds in the Postgres community conference circuit with lots of talks, including at PJ, PG Day Paris, Nordic PG Day, CytusCon, an event for Postgres, Postgres at scale, and even a lightning talk at PGConf EU. Hi, Chelsea. I understand you're also a Citus user. Um, I used that my last job with great success. And our second guest today is Floor Dedes. I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, Floor is based in the Netherlands and works as a community PM at Ivan. Um, Floor is also a DevOps Day core member and organizes the DevOps Days Amsterdam and uh, another conference that I don't think I can pronounce properly called Eindhoven. Perfect. Okay. Um, I first met Floor at Microsoft at FOSDEM specifically, um, and Citus was just acquired when I joined Microsoft, and a whole bunch of my awesome Citus teammates live in the Netherlands and worked in Floor's co-working space. Welcome, yes. Floor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, a little bit of background on this topic of you're probably already using Postgres, what you need to know. Um, a lot of applications run on top of Postgres, obviously, um, but for many application developers, they, they're they a little bit further from the database. They're probably working in a framework, whether that's Rails for Ruby or Hibernate or Spring, um, Django for Python. Um, there's obviously a ton more. Um, so as an application developer, you might feel you don't need to know a lot about the underlying database. But what if you did? How could knowing more about Postgres help you? So that's part of the backstory to this topic. But Floor, you came up with this podcast topic. So can you tell me your backstory? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because there, there is certainly a backstory there. Uh, I also don't want to take all of the credit, Claire. I think we came up with it you know, together. Um, but my Postgres uh, story um, started in 2012 uh, when I started learning Ruby on Rails. Um, and we would load it in as the gem we would use for like database stuff, right? Um, and it was just functional. Uh, DBA migrate would uh, create columns for stuff in your application uh, to work the right way. Um, and you didn't think about Postgres um, ever. Uh, or MySQL or SQLite, which were uh, also commonly used with uh, Rails uh, apps then. Um, and so you would take for granted that it would do data management for, for you. And um, I, I used it for transactions and, and other things that companies that I worked at. Um, and then I started working at uh, Ivan, and I needed to really deepen my understanding of data tools uh, like Postgres, uh, which I had then probably most recently used as a data source for Grafana, uh, back when I worked at Grafana for a bit. Um, and again, without really lifting the hood on what Postgres is, right? 
Um, and also uh, Rails and, and Ruby conferences, which is really the world that I come from, um, didn't have Postgres people talk about data management or Postgres specifically. Um, and in later life uh, slash career, I guess, <laughs> I found that Dev and Ops could be joined, right? Um, uh, and had uh, a lot of in common, really, um, had some common ground. But DBAs were still very much outside of the picture. Um, it was not part of the gang. Um, and if, so even with all of the companies that claim that they're they're data-driven, uh, very few decision-makers will actually really know uh, what is happening um, within the data wranglers that they use. Um, and, and that's too bad because I think that having more of an understanding uh, what the data tools in your tool belt can do uh, can really help you design better, more innovative solutions. Um, so mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's where, where the topic comes from. I just feel like... Um, there might be innovation in thinking creatively without constraints, but actually understanding uh, the tools that are in your tool build. Um, so there, there can be a lot of innovation in knowledge as well. Um, so I think that's the long-winded uh, <laughs> um, explanation of the, of the sort of backstory of why I wanted to talk about this topic specifically. Well, it sounds like you and Chelsea have something in, in, in common as well, because when I was talking to Chelsea beforehand, Chelsea, you said that you started out as a full stack back end engineer and that you have absolutely zero formal education in databases. Um, so I'll, I'll circle back to floor in a minute. But Chelsea, I'm curious, like, what were your first steps? How did you get started understanding Postgres better? Yeah, that's completely true. Um, so I, beyond just having no formal education in databases, um, I have no undergraduate degree or beyond in software engineering or computer science in general. I actually studied economics and political science in college, and I got into coding through research. I was on this path to want to be a journalist because I always loved writing analytically, which I also use in my work today. But um, the longer I was in university, the more I met people who were just so passionate about this whole computer science thing, which is something that I never had exposure to at a younger age. Wasn't at my high school, wasn't anything my family was a part of, etc. So I kind of got a bug for it when I was in college, took some classes. But being from the U.S., you don't exactly change your major three-fourths of the way through. Um, The cost of that is a little bit insane. But... After I graduated from college, I only a couple months later ended up doing a boot camp. I remember I was trying to decide if I should do it because I was applying for jobs and I had a final interview for a um, actually a marketing analyst position. And I decided, okay, if I get the job, I'll, I should take it. But if I don't, I'm going to do a boot camp. And I did not get the job, but I remember feeling really relieved because I was really excited to delve more into it. And actually, as a side note, I find it very ironic that the reason I actually failed the interview is I didn't know SQL, uh, which I definitely know now. So I remember I was trying to, you know, binge learn SQL the day before this interview for a marketing analyst role. Um, But, you know, I did a coding boot camp, which... Coding boot camps don't focus on backend or databases at all because, and that's the correct thing to be clear. Um, I think that they generally prepare you for a sort of full stack role. The one I did, you can concentrate, and I, from the beginning, was a big fan of backend. 
I liked the clarity of it, and I found I've never been really a designer, at least visually, so I think that being front-end didn't appeal to me very much. But as I started to go through jobs, um, one after another, I found myself drifting further and further from full stack on paper to actually doing back-end at my first job. And my second job, I was hired as a data engineer. Um, My second job, which is at Coffee Meets Bagel, uh, which is a dating app, I would say that's where I learned the vast majority of my database chops. And it's a smaller startup. I think it was around 50 people. And I was hired as a data engineer, which now no longer working there, I can admit that I was utterly unqualified, but they really took a chance. And also I would say it's kind of special and unusual to hire your only data engineer at a mid-level. So at that job where I started not even knowing really what a replica was and being hired as a data engineer, um, I ended up learning so much through the process of, oh crap, I really should know this. Let me figure this out. Um, And so I think that most of my Postgres knowledge, because Coffee Meets Bagel is a Postgres shop, was learned kind of trial by fire. I was technically a backend developer slash database engineer. And the more I started working there, the more I realized that the problems I was trying to solve and the problems that I got myself into were often around either, um, I would say, database design or, um, or access patterns or query specifics that I didn't really understand when I first started, or even just infrastructure that I wasn't, I had never really worked in infrastructure before. So I think that that journey was how I got into it. I started out liking backend, um, but having no education in it. And I got myself hired to a job I was unqualified for, and then um, taught myself how to be qualified. And also I would add, that sounds a little bit, I would add to that. I also had some good mentorship at that job and since then. So that's always a big part of it. But mostly it was just, oh, crap, what is this? Let me figure it out. Chelsea, could you clarify for me? Did you start learning Postgres at the first job or when you became a data engineer? Um, I used it exactly as Floor did, um, which is we did use Postgres specifically actually and a bit of MySQL, but it was just this invisible thing in the background that just works, you know, TM. So it was, oh, I'll save something to the database. And I had no idea where it was hosted. I had no idea if it was fast or slow, even observability wise. It was just something that didn't exist to me. So I would say that it existed and I did use it, but my knowledge was at most ORM level. And let me ask something else about about being a data engineer, since you were the only data engineer at the company. What what did your colleagues rely on you for and how, how did they interact with you? So my job there was specifically as a data engineer for the machine learning team because Coffee Meets Bagel is a dating app. And the thing that they specifically try to provide is machine learning um, based matches. So I was really supporting data scientists by building infrastructure for model training and things like that. Um, I would say that I would interact, my my users there were people on data science. So that was interesting, trying to prepare databases and infrastructure and systems that would face internally where latency isn't as important and you're building potentially pretty high throughput systems. And then I also had this second job, which is 
make everything fast, <laughs> which I think a lot of data engineers can probably relate to. How successful that is, hard to say, but those are two very different use cases. Um, I would say generally people come to you as a data engineer when something is wrong, when something is slow. And so I think that that trial by fire element really came through um, because no one likes not having the answer when somebody says, why is this so slow? We really need to fix this. This is a problem now. So I would say that um, that's kind of how people interact with me from these two very different use cases, internal data scientists and model training where latency is not a problem, and then very um, latency sensitive user facing applications. So um, you've covered a lot of ground and we want to talk about obviously Postgres and ORMs and um, how to how to give application developers maybe some places to go to better understand the underlying database, why that might help them. But you said something about hiring strategy that I just I just can't let that go. Um, you, you said basically that you were unqualified for that data engineer job. But what's really interesting is there is a hiring strategy where you hire someone not because they have done that job before, not because they have the requisite knowledge to do that job on day one, um, but because they have the skills and the motivation and that capability of learning um, and uh, maybe even even inventing things that haven't been done before, right? Because they're not limited by, oh, this is the way we always did it. So I don't know. I, I, I wonder if you are wrong when you say you were unqualified. Maybe your skill set and your motivations actually made you uniquely qualified. You just had some learning to do. So, and I think you can tell what my hiring strategy is when you hear that. Well, um, I appreciate that. I think that there is qualification and effort and willingness to learn. And, you know, it's worked out for me so far. So I guess I can't speak too badly of it. And obviously I'm also very grateful that that happened. Yes, yes, because whoever that hiring manager was obviously did did take some risk. Um, the proof wasn't there yet, but clearly they were right. So, all right. So um, you also said something else. You said that your knowledge when you first got started in job one, the database was this invisible thing that just works and that your your work was almost at the ORM level, right? Beyond that, you weren't sure what was happening underneath the ORM, what those SQL queries were, et cetera. Um, I think I heard the same thing from Floor. Is that right, Floor? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Like I, I just used it as, you know, taking something for granted is part of, you know, how to build an application, but I never really thought about it. Uh, I also come from a very non-traditional background because I studied art, uh, actually, <laughs> um, and then sort of fell in love with the internet and wanted to figure out how the internet works. Uh, and that put me in the, on this trajectory of uh, learning, learning to program, and and, and learning more about uh, all of the underlying structures. Um, I had a similar sort of trial by fire where, um, when I just joined Ivan, um, we were migrating uh, documentation from one platform to the other, and while doing the migration, checking all of the documentation as well. So um, had to do a lot of uh, well, I had to build all of these things um, and try and figure out if that's uh, if you know the documentation was still up to date, uh, still valid, um, and that taught me a bunch of stuff that was really super useful. 
And then also at Ivan internally, we have a wonderful thing that is called uh, Let's Talk Ivan Tech, where we cover all of the data tools that that, that Ivan uh, offers. Um, and there will be different people from solution uh, architecture or um, developer relations that will go through all of these tools, uh, show a little demo, answer all kinds of questions, specifically geared to the roles at the companies uh, that aren't um, uh, like traditionally technical. Um, and so that's that's such a useful primer um, and the implementation is there too to follow up with the person who did the talk um, to, to learn more and to ask questions whenever you get stuck. Um, so uh, likewise, uh, I also had a lot of help and, and mentoring, um, but also it just really helps when, when you're thrown into this project and you just, you, you have to figure it out and you have to ask for help. Um, and, and that's been uh, um, sort of a pressure cooker to learn more about all of these tools. Um, and there's so many things that I didn't know Postgres could even do, right? Um, so um, it, it, w it would need to say a lot of things on the tin to do what it says on the tin. Um, there's uh, such so many things that are natively supported that I didn't even know about. Um, I didn't know that there would be, uh, you know, um, international character sets because, you know, like that's something for, uh, I've worked as a community man manager for a long time and worked with communities and, and, and so like forms and input fields and, uh, you know, like names and things are, are and characters are it's super difficult. Um, and so I didn't even know that that's in the capabilities of, of Postgres. Um, and that, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know that outside of like whatever is natively supported in Postgres, there is this fast extension, um, uh, you know, like network, uh, all of these things that you can plug into. Um, and um, so my, my knowledge was so incredibly basic. Uh, and uh, I, I've learned my learning curve over the last um, two and a half years that I'm here now. It's, uh, it's just been incredible. Um, as as I was thinking about the audience for this podcast, uh, right, application developers maybe don't have a deep understanding of databases, uh, maybe didn't study it in school or haven't actually worked um, in that part of the stack. Um, and I was remembering that uh, picture on Twitter that I think you might have posted, Floor, and it was of Karen Jacks giving a <laughs> conference talk in the last year sometime um, to a completely packed standing room only room. Um, and it was about Postgres because Karen works for a Postgres company and that's her area of expertise. But I seem to remember like that was the only Postgres talk at that conference and that was standing room only. Am I remembering that right? Um. I mean, almost right. It was at uh, it was a KubeCon uh, um, in Amsterdam uh, this year, and it was not standing room, but it was the room was packed, and there were rows of people standing because there were no seats left. Okay. Um, and I, you know, like I initially went to see Karen's talk because I don't know Karen, and I wanted to, you know, support. But uh, apparently, my support was not needed because <laughs> the the room was packed. Everyone was was super interested, and indeed, it was the only talk really about databases and 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 you know like specifically postgres and and kubernetes and um uh, there were so many questions afterwards uh i wanted to you know like after the talk i want to be like oh you did a wonderful job but there was no way of getting to karen because there were so many people lined up to ask uh, even more questions so uh, it was really cool to see because as mentioned um when you know like for any uh, for for 
um, the more programming language um, focused conferences like Ruby or, or, or Rails, uh, I never, there was never really a our uh, database or, or Postgres talk or MySQL or any of these in, in a mix. Um, and so um, it's not a topic, you know, like it's not a topic that you uh, sort of organically, uh, you know, uh, get to learn more about. And so this was this was just good to see that there's a, there's an interest um, and, and that's just fantastic. Very cool. Wish I'd been there. Um, okay, so um, what what are the key things you recommend that app developers learn about Postgres when they want to have that deeper understanding? Um, Chelsea, you want to start? Sure. Um, as I think that both Flora and I have mentioned, you know, when you start out, it's just this black box that just works. And even if you are setting up a personal project using Postgres, you're really just doing something on local host. There's no optimization needed. But I find that the two ways that developers usually start to interact with Postgres deeper are ORMs and migrations. So this is me personally. I would say that the way I learn things, I'm very, um, well, I guess we're on a software engineering podcast, so I can say that I'm more of a depth first person than a breadth first person. Um, I like to find an entry point and just jump in deep. And so I think that these two entry points are a great place to start. So for example, if you're used to using an ORM just in your day-to-day -day life, um, start when you start running into things that feel confusing or the syntax is weird, then just ask why. And let's figure out what's really being executed. Um, so I think that taking those two very relevant pieces of technology, migration systems, such as whether you use Flyway or Ecto or, you know, anything in Django, and starting to actually learn that further as a springboard to understand what's actually being run. Because ORMs can be quite dumb. Um, they often don't run things as you need to, and they often, in scale, lead to some pretty gnarly data problems. So understanding that that can happen and starting to unfurl through there is great. With migrations, um, you similarly will run into issues eventually. When will they lock or not lock? Um, how do you actually see how long it's taking to run? What happens if a index fails? Why won't it just recreate? It seems like it should. Why does it say that it's invalid? You know, these are sort of natural questions that will come up through actually diving deeper into what you already use. Um, I think that's a great approach personally because I think it can be overwhelming if you say, okay, well, I use the Jenga ORM, so uh, let's look up what this really niche setting is on a Postgres server because there's no real impetus for learning that at that point. So instead, I think it's great to take what you already do and just intentionally dive deeper into the weird things that come up. Um, you know, instead of just saying, oh, it's slow. Maybe I guess that the query just doesn't run well. You can say, okay, why slow? Let's Google little bits of this. Okay, what's a wait event? Um, why is this ID so much slower than that ID? That seems really confusing. Why would Postgres be different that way? And those sort of depth-first conversations can be a great place to start compared to just, you know, throwing yourself off a, <laughs> off a cliff into something that feels like maybe a, a best practice place to start, but has no grounding in what you're working on. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. I mean, you start with asking why, and it sounds like you're going down rabbit holes, right? Asking questions, peeling the onion, searching on Google. Um, but it, it, it sounds like you're recommending the way you like to learn is not just depth first, but very specific to the problems you're working on. It, it doesn't sound like your preference is to go learn things in the abstract, right? In theory, but you like learning them in the context of whatever the project is. Did I get that right? Um, I think that there's a place for both. I think that when it comes to, when it comes to me, I, I do like to dive deep and I find that asking those questions brings me around to the big picture. Um, if you, like me, when I first started, have no grounding in any particular databases, I would recommend reading, um, I believe it's, I don't have this in front of me, I believe it's um, Designing Data Intensive Applications. It's an O'Reilly book. That, reading that, um, before I really got into Postgres specifically, I found gave me a lot of grounding in general database topics. So much that when I ran into those problems, I could remember the terminology that I just didn't know before. So I would say that if you are not familiar with, um, you know, I would say terminology like a write-ahead log, which of course I wasn't familiar with at some point, or a replica, or um, what is even the purpose of replicas, or, you know, things like that, that sort of broader knowledge application, I think is a good place to start. Um, I'm a personal advocate of there's no, even if you're starting with Postgres, you don't need to start Postgres specific. If those are your questions, answering broader questions first is a great idea. And then diving into the specific technology with that depth first approach. Um, I think that a great thing you can do on a slightly more specific level is try to, if you're, if you're learning in this depth first way where you're kind of learning by doing, Make sure that you or someone on your team has some basic observability because um, things like logs help create those questions. If you don't have questions to answer and kind of rabbit hole into, like you said, you start kind of going in misguided directions. So having some logs, some observability, I mean, that gives you the stuff to Google. So and that helps you answer questions and dive deep, like I was saying. Chelsea, I just wanted to make sure I understood the recommendation. So so. Um, there's a temptation since uh, it's a black box, it, the, the, the database, the RM is talking to just seems to work that you don't need to, to dive deep. Do you wait, do you, do you suggest that people wait until they you know, hit a problem and then they start to investigate this stuff or really as a way of working, the, the RM is a layer that's worth understanding the, how the RM creates queries, what the queries look like when executed, how fast they are, et cetera. So that's something just, if you're working in an app that has an ORM integrated, that you that you should be look, paying attention to both the database layer and the app development uh, as as just a, a standard way of of doing your development. Um, I would say so. I think learning to be what I usually call data aware. I mean, maybe not your spe you might not be specialized in databases, but being aware and conscious of what you're interacting with more than a black box. That's good, even if there's no problems. I think that you can be asking yourself those questions and asking why this, why that, even if it's not actively on fire, um, might be the opposite way around. Why, why do I have to use this keyword when I'm running a migration? Like, what does that actually do? How does that prevent, you know, locking? What is a lock? I think those questions are kind of good ones to follow. Um, I... 
yeah, d d does that does that make sense? I, I do think it's, of course, worthwhile to to learn and understand without there being like problems, so to speak. I think that speaking for myself, um, I'm very driven by, I would say, like I'm Flora used the phrase pressure cooker, I think. I'm very driven by the pressure cooker. And so even if it's not because something is actively on fire, I think that it helps me to feel like the motivation and the question coming from something tangible. That does make sense. And and I would, from from what you and Floor have talked about, it sounds like there are many times when an app dev might not need to because, for example, there's a data engineer on their team. And yeah. so, for example, in the case of migrations, um, it kind of works in development or in, the, um, in, in my test and uh, and actually running it in the production environment. That's not something that I'll have to do. Mm -hmm. um, so what is that interaction like? Um, perhaps. Um, um, maybe, maybe you can make a copy of the of the of the actual production database to run the migration. You run into different problems. Um, what do you recommend there? Well, I think the first thing is if you are lucky to have a database engineer, um, just start asking them questions. Database engineers are often few, far between, and kind of stressed, and so they're always really thrilled to have people who are on the app development side asking questions and wanting to learn. So I think that is an amazing place to start if you have that network. Um, any kind of staging environment is usually uh, a gift and a good thing to try out migrations and queries on, usually more so than local development because you wouldn't have any kind of scale on localhost. So you have access to a non-prod, probably cloud-based or just a separate server with prod-esque data. That's a more realistic place to start, I would say. But yeah, my, my first suggestion would be, you know, using your using your network. You know, if you're not running the my prod migrations, who is? Um, so somebody's doing that, or at least knows how they're run. And you know, again, with the software engineering jokes, they, you know, our databases are high availability. They want to be high availability too. You never know when they want to fail over, and you need to start running the prod migrations. Great, thank you. And maybe I'll, I'll ask, we'll, we'll uh, ask Floor the same question. Um, what are the key things you recommend apps dev, app devs learn about Postgres and why? Um, yeah, sure. And first I want to say that prod-ask is a term that I'm going to steal and use a lot, Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to figure out, do I hyphenate it? Do I put a little apostrophe there? I'm loving that term too. And I've now written it three different ways in my notes. Prod-ask. <laughs> I'm using a hyphen, so you know, like I'll, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna use that one. Um, I think for, I think for me, it's important to uh, for for app developers to check their assumptions. I think there are some assumptions about what Postgres does and doesn't do uh, that might not be entirely correct. Um, so, for instance, um, when talking to app developers, I notice that a lot of them don't really. Uh, know that Postgres offers concurrent database access, for instance, um, and you know, like the so there is no read log. Readers can you know, like readers don't block writers, writers don't block readers, um, and uh, that that's you know, like the M MVCC is not something that a lot of people are are very aware of that are in of the uh, app development persuasion. Um, so that should be that that should be something that people are looking into. And then on the other side. Um, I think we had a talk at DevOps Days Amsterdam um, 
this year where someone was talking about the shiny object syndrome. Um, don't know if they coined that term or if it has been around for longer, uh, but we tend to, as app developers, look at all of these, you know, new and shiny frameworks and tools, and we want to try and implement all of those because, you know, they're, they're, they're fun and exciting and all of that kind of stuff. And there is so much strength in, can I say boring technology? Like, boring is not a bad thing, right? Boring is, is solid. It just works. Um, and so I would, I would want to say to app developers to before adopting more complex uh, data infrastructure, um, for instance, um, you'll see companies that are using Postgres to also add uh, OpenSearch and Redis. While those are really super interesting bits of technologies, uh, it might make a lot of sense to in, to investigate what's possible in Postgres. Um, before, you know, like adding complexity to your system. Because um, text search is definitely something that is possible. Maybe not instant full text searching, but, you know, text search, is, it's, it's a, this is a possibility. Um, or specialized indexing. Um, There's all things that are, are, are just, you know, like those are available in Postgres and there's no need to add uh, more services to your to your infrastructure. Um, that also, like ha keeping your infrastructure simple also means that there is easier onboarding when there's new people coming to your team. Uh, they don't need to learn a bunch of services if they're not not aware of all of these. Um, it prevents uh, legacy maintenance. Uh, there is, um, you know, like security and, and, and all of these upgrades and the different uh, upgrade uh, scenarios for all of the different tools. That's a con consideration too. Uh, there is cost efficiency and that and so um, but maybe before that even uh, at, at a company level try and, and and see if you can do like little communities of practice and figure out what other teams might be using Postgres or might be using one of those other services and see if the, you can can learn from them uh, before you start adding tools because it's absolutely necessary got it um one of the things I, I like about this podcast is there'll be good show notes afterwards, and hopefully we'll be able to capture some of these um, some of these tips um, in a nice, um, easy bulleted list. Mm. But I think the key thing is you're going to have to be curious to understand more. Um, and I like this notion of the shiny object syndrome. Although if you live in the Postgres world, you kind of do think of a new Postgres release as a shiny object. <laughs> <laughs> um there there obviously even after 30 years there's still a lot of new capabilities and features that come out every year. Well maybe I'll 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 ask about this shiny object syndrome even if you are just using Postgres and it has more uh, because it can do a lot of things. Um what are your recommendations um Flora about um adopting new Postgres extensions? Yeah, excellent. So, so I think it's both both uh, investigating the extension network, uh, but also uh, know that or get to know the the open source project uh, a little too. Is that you know, like I think I believe that there's an annual release, uh, and I think the average amount of new features is like 180 per release, which is, like that's that's a big number, yo. Um, that is huge. So. <laughs> that is huge. And so checking release notes, and maybe you'll have to interpret them yourself a little too, because um, a lot of release notes for projects will say like, 
you know, fixes blah or adds blah without really saying what the added benefit for for an end user might be. Uh, but like have ch checking release notes and maybe uh, do that in a you know like a little project group within the company might be might be super useful to find things that are actually um, that's that are there are features that you can use to your benefit. Um, I have certainly seen it at a companies to have these communities of practice come together and, and go through release notes together to see what it means for them, um, because that's often not really what comes across um, in uh, release notes that project will put out. I was listening to your podcast interview with Corey Quinn for <laughs> on Screening in the Cloud, um, and I know that was a completely different topic. You were talking about community together, but you did mention there that at Ivan, you have a speaker's corner. Yes. Where all of you who give talks will kind of get together. I don't know if it's physical or virtual. It's probably virtual given how spread apart people are. And you'll share your talks beforehand. So are you suggesting that like a speaker's corner in a company that there be like a Postgres corner <laughs> where people share their understanding of, you know, the latest release or um, new capabilities or things like that? That's um, super nice. And I think we have actually something that is more towards that at Ivan too. So Speakers Corner, first of all, that is a fantastic initiative um, for uh, veteran speakers, but also newcomers, because you learn just so much from how others interpret your talk um, that you can, you, you know, you can't anticipate yourself. Um, and so I've used uh, Speaker Corner for all of my talks to, you know, do a dry run and, and get a bunch of feedback. And it's been super duper helpful. But that's, you know, entirely besides the point. Uh, we do have a weekly demo um, uh, session as well, where everyone can just tune in and they will demo all of the, you know, like internal tools, but external tools too. Um, and so, yes, it might be, for instance, um, Grafana, uh, when Grafana 9 uh, came out and brought all of this uh, alerting uh, technology, we would go through um, what that means for, what that would potentially mean for our customers too, uh, to better understand what the, what that brings. And so, um, yes, there's a lot of that sort of knowledge sharing within within iPhone, which is which absolutely excellent. Uh, I feel really privileged to be able to uh, really take advantage of all of those things, yeah. All right, so let's circle back to Pino's question for a second about extension specifically. Um, not everybody listening to this podcast, I mean, I, I imagine a lot of people do, but some people probably don't know what a Postgres extension is. So who wants to define it here? Don't everybody go first. Uh-oh, um, blank space. <laughs> I, can, I can give a go at it. Um, okay. So a Postgres extension is... Um, usually an open source addition to vanilla Postgres. It can be something that is included already in the Postgres binary that you have to, um, that you're able to install without any access or additional software added, or it can be something that is additional software that you use and need to actually um, alter your installation, depends. Um, Postgres itself is designed to be the most simple version of what it provides. It's designed to not provide the bells and whistles, but to give you access to installing them if you need them. The reason being that it wants to suit the best use case or the most general use case and allow people to configure it from there. This is a different philosophy than some other um, relational databases, which try to suit themselves to a pretty specific purpose. 
the purpose of extensions is to basically model your database on the server level, not just the not just the um, the database access level to suit what you need. So some, so some examples might be the classic pgstat statements, which can give you history of queries that are being run, which is a great first extension to try. To try. Um, so it can be as simple as that, collecting more stats, or it can be as complex as Citus, for example, which, um, I mean, I'm far from the expert in Citus in this call right now, but which will deeply and critically change the way Postgres even designs tables or answers queries. So it can be a huge spectrum of how much it alters the basic Postgres installation. One of the things about extensions that I think is so cool is that um, this ability of extent or this this capability was designed into Postgres from day one. Like if you look at the original academic um, design paper for Postgres, I think it's number two or number three on the objectives um, for the database. And one of the other things that's cool about it is it's enabled a lot of innovation, right? I mean, to get to get a new capability in core can sometimes take a long time, like years, years yeah. <laughs> right? Whereas um, by enabling extensions that that can um, modify the database runtime, like as as things are running, um, people can do things like Citus, but there's uh, hundreds of other extensions out there. Um, PostGIS is probably like number one on the list um, and hugely beneficial in the geospatial world. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's, contributed to a lot of the growth of Postgres. Agreed. Maybe I'll add that, that it also maybe helped avoid forking. And there are forks of Postgres, but perhaps the, the extensions uh, have helped keep the community together by allowing that, by, by, by providing that flexibility. Yeah. It's an interesting notion. Can you expand on that a little? Sorry, I didn't want to take over the, the you know, like the, the host seat, but I, I'd love to learn more. Oh yeah, sure, sure. No, no I, I um, I've seen um, uh, Postgres forks. In fact, Citus started as a as a Postgres fork, and then um, um, I can't remember from what year. Uh, it was well before I joined. Twenty sixteen, unforked Postgres. Uh, that got a lot of attention in the community um, and able to provide. I mean, it's a really an, a, a very impressive thing to be able to provide a um, uh, distributed version of Postgres as, uh, as an extension. Um, a similar one is, for example, that you can do columnar storage in Postgres by um, by using a different table access method. I think the standard one, the, the in core one, is the heap. Um, but there's 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 columnar storage. Citus has a columnar storage capability. Um, I've seen other forks. So I've I've seen some forks that are very interesting in the community recently. There's um, uh, there's Neon database, which is serverless. Um, that was a fork, and, and they've documented why, and their intention is to uh, hopefully, and I don't, I don't really have, know the details, but to to uh, be able to get some changes into Postgres that will allow them to unfork. Um, and there's there, there are some other examples, but but I think that that, um, um, you know, obviously vendors will fork to provide some advanced features, but 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 a lot of these really advanced capabilities then eventually make it into into Postgres itself thanks to the extensions and later there's a path to going into core uh, if that makes sense. Um, Melanie Plagman is in the audience on text chat and one of the things she's just typed in is that the philosophy of the um, Postgres contributors is that things that don't need to be in core to work 
shouldn't be in core. And then she has the caveat usually underneath it. Um, <laughs> but but I think I think it's a pretty interesting philosophy. Like um, and and some things like PostGIS, like Citus, can persist um, as an extension. They don't need to go into core. And what's really cool about being an extension is that typically um, you can make it work on the latest Postgres release within you know days or weeks of the latest Postgres release coming out. Um, whereas forks oftentimes like those lag significantly behind um in terms of months or even years um so it, it's anyway i'm a big fan of extensions but we're here to talk about things that people need to know in order to better understand the underlying database if they're an app developer um so maybe i'll reel us back for just a second um I know I had shared before the podcast this uh, link to a talk that Louise Grandchamp gave at PyCon a couple of years ago now, um, and it was obviously geared to Python developers, um, and it was called Optimizing Your Python and Django Apps with Postgres Superpowers, um, and it was definitely had that performance angle to it, right? It's about optimizing performance. Um, and I'm just curious, Chelsea, Floor, if you had a chance to look at it and what your thoughts are about whether those superpowers that Louise talked about in there are still relevant today. Uh, I So I watched the talk. Um, I wasn't familiar with it before, but I would say that the superpowers are extremely still relevant. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen the talk, it is from the perspective of an engineer who works with Postgres and wants to teach how to optimize it through the perspective of the Django ORM. And she does get into some details that are, say, Postgres specific, separate of using the ORM, but that is sort of the entry point she uses. I thought that was a great entry point because I think a problem I see with some Postgres talks is that they dive in deep to what feels kind of scary. Um, they leave the GUI behind, they leave, um, you know, they leave everything that connects an app dev to what they're familiar with and say, oh, just jump in, it'll be fine. And although I do agree, you know, I think one big advice I would give people is to try to de-risk and stop being fearful of PSQL. I'm a big fan, but I think that that is an entry point and she does a great job of talking about how to make that transition. Um, the things that I think are good from that talk that are still relevant to this day are focusing on things like um, how both things that are pure Postgres, like here's how you read an explain plan, this is what it means, to things that are in between the ORM and Postgres. So not Postgres itself, but if you're an app dev, this is your entry point. So for example, um, what is pagination? And um, how can I optimize my queries through using different styles of it? Or um, oh, I didn't realize my ORM is selecting every column. How can I get better performance by selecting specific columns or using a limit? And things that your ORM might be doing to help you, quote unquote, that could actually be shooting you in the foot. So I thought it was a great talk. Um, if you're in the Django community, which you know the first conference I ever went to was, was actually a Django conference or a, a Python conference. So I love that then I think it's a, it's a great talk if you're looking to make the app dev jump. And even if you're not really into Python, um, you know, I'm sure that there are similar techniques to use in different languages as well. 
Um, I know that you mentioned logging earlier as something that you pay a lot of attention to, Chelsea, and that um, helps you kind of come up with those questions of what you're going to need to investigate, what you're going to investigate. And I think she has a whole section on logs as well for Postgres. Um, yeah. Um, something she mentioned, which I am a huge fan of, if you're trying to get started and understanding what even questions to rabbit hole into, is turning on auto-explain. Um, an explain analyze plan will tell you what 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 your Postgres server is doing to return the answer to a query. So it'll tell you, oh, I'm scanning in this direction and I'm filtering for this. It just tells you the game plan. And also if you run with um, with analyze, it actually runs it and it gives you some runtime, some runtime specific answers. However, um, if you set up auto explain, you're able to have this done automatically for you. And this is a great place to start because running it yourself can run into some pitfalls. For example, things might be cached. You might be running it with an ID that has one row instead of five million rows. It's hard to say. I think a great place to start if you're trying to answer these questions, so you're trying to jump in, is actually just setting up auto-explain with some reasonable min duration, which means that it'll automatically collect those questions for you. Because, you know, running explain analyze is essentially, in some ways, it's telling you the game plan of Postgres. In some ways, it's giving you questions to ask, and it'll run it for longer running queries. So I think that's something she mentioned as well that I really agree with. Awesome. Um, Maybe I'll ask a question. Um, I didn't see anything about this in, in the... Um in the blog and talk, but when do connection poolers, should, do application developers need to be aware of connection poolers and, and maybe the built-in connection pooler in their ORM? Um, and at what point if, if they do? Um, is that, that's a great question. I think, um, I think if there, there's, there's two situations in which connection poolers probably just work or just don't exist, and that's with a very small company, possible you just connect directly to the database. Or the big company, somebody has probably already set up um, PG Balancer, or you know, there's modern or different solutions right now as well, such as um, Odyssey or PG Cat and other options. Um, I think. Most of the time, it's not actually where I'd recommend jumping in first because I think it's possible to get around it. And especially if you have an ORM side connection pooler, um, there's you can get some of the benefit there. You won't get as much from a centralized pooler that's going to sit in between you and Postgres. So I think that that's not a pure answer, especially if you're running in let's say a Kubernetes environment where you have many, many pods or servers which will have their own um, connection poolers, which of course um, cumulatively will pool less than one centralized pooler. So I would say if you're thinking about where to start off, that's not where I'd see the most benefit to jump in. But I do think that um, the benefit of understanding that your ORM might have a pooler is pretty high. So I think that I would say if you're going to come into it from the app dev perspective, look at the ORM side first. And then if you find, and then ask your, again, like I said, DBAs, they're out there to be reached out to. If you can figure out if your company or if your project has a centralized pooler, that will give you a lot of understanding. And if they don't, which if you're a larger company with lots of connections who doesn't have it, 
then that is an amazing place to start off in suggesting it because the benefits can be really huge. That was a bit wandering. Did that make sense? Yes, it did. Thanks. That was great. So one of you, as we were preparing for the podcast, said, might have been you, Chelsea, although I could see Flora saying this too, um, that, quote, databases can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Enemy. It's kind of dramatic, but um, I want to know more. What did you mean? Uh, that that was me. <laughs> I think I do have a, a flair for the dramatic sometimes. Um, but I, I do stand by this. I think that um, when I said that, what I was thinking about is how app developers try to kind of avoid jumping into the database sometimes. And sometimes there will be so many code optimizations, even infrastructure optimizations, before optimizing the database itself. So, you know, you think about a developer who's okay, I want to I wanna go from this, this um, O of N runtime, you know, the, I want to remove this for loop and I can make it faster by, you know, using, I can cache locally and this LRU cache and there's optimizations you can make on the code side, but they won't jump into the Postgres or in this case Postgres, but the database side. Whereas I find that databases can be your best friend because if you notice that a lot of your timing is from the database, that is a huge place for optimization and improvement. That's going to be that's going to pay dividends much faster almost always than, you know, optimizing a for loop. But it can also be your worst enemy in that the complexity of doing so and the ability to kind of run into this kind of deep knowledge that feels very confusing can can be very challenging. So I would say that it's your best friend and that it's such an amazing place for optimization that needs less maintenance potentially and is needs less code work than optimizing a loop, but it can also just be a very high barrier to entry. And sometimes when, especially if you don't have observability or monitoring, um, it is just this black box and you don't understand how to get started. Whereas most developers can say, oh, I can remove that for loop. It becomes a higher barrier to entry. Okay, so you just said something really important. You said, especially if you don't have observability or monitoring. So how do you recommend an app dev who who wants to consider, you know, who wants the database to become their best friend, who wants to be able to optimize at the database level, where do they get this observability and this monitoring? How do they figure out if the database is their bottleneck? Um, at a high level, I would say the best thing that you can try to do is get some form of traces per request. So just to see what percentage of your request time is spent on different steps. And that can be really illuminating. Um, you know, everything from Grafana to Datadog to um, you know, the observability that might be built into a cloud managed service, um, that will usually, well, not maybe the last one if it's only on databases, but that can tell you, okay, your request took 500 milliseconds and 80% of that time is coming from database queries, or there's actually 200 very fast requests in that 500 milliseconds. And I think that end to end, um, the end to end information is where I find the best place to start. Awesome. Flor, I know you used to work at Grafana too. I mean, do you want to pile onto that? Any tips for application developers who are trying to figure out if the database is their bottleneck and how to optimize? 
Absolutely. I think you should definitely have a look at a tool like Grafana um, and and do some benchmarking then benchmarking there. Uh, but also to take along to the, the or you know pile along the the earlier question um, of you know like I think I think we don't know what we don't know um, and at you know I'm at, I'm at DevOps Days Chicago right now so I'd be also remiss to uh, be like hey you know we have Dev and Ops working together but we're not talking about you know we don't it's not called Dev DB Ops or something and it shouldn't be called that because we should be um, talking to our DBAs and our data engineers, um, <laughs> like organically, I don't understand uh, why they don't factor into a lot of these conversations that we're having. Um, and I, I just want people on the dev and ops side, and just generally application developers, to be more curious about you know like the little quirks of a particular data tool that you're using um if you if you have if you have zero familiarity of, with any of these tools and just use them for granted as we did uh you know when we were still young and and un, unknowing um uh that's such a it's it's you know it's such a big miss right it's just uh, unfortunate um so yeah like I, I, we've, we've I love, all been there Right. We've yeah. all been at those stages in our careers where we don't know what learned. we don't know. And yeah. yeah and, and we still have, uh, at least I still have more to learn and lots of new areas. So, um, which is a wonderful yeah. thing. No, isn't it? It, it means I'm not bored. Right. <laughs> um, hopefully none of us are. Okay. So be curious if you're in a larger organization and you have data engineers and DBAs and um, people on the operational infrastructure side, you're saying talk to them. Is that right? Obviously, yes, some people are in small companies and they don't have specialists like that to turn to. Um, how would they go, go about it? Yeah, how would they go about it? I, I Well, obviously, there's fewer people to talk to, which actually maybe makes it a little bit easier, right? Um, that's kind of what Chelsea's situation was in, was it your first or your second company, Chelsea? It was a smaller company. team, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was, I, yeah, it was it was my second company and like I said I was then hired as the only data engineer. However, there were definitely people that knew more context about what we were running. And so even if they're not even though they don't have the name DBA in their title, um people that have more context on why choices were made and what trade-offs have been made in making these decisions is a good place to start, even if their title may not seem to be database specific. Got it. So if a developer was going to do just one thing, you've each made a number of recommendations um, based on your experiences, right? L becoming more savvy um at the database level over the years but if a an app developer was going to do just one thing as a first step in becoming more postgres savvy what would you recommend it be we're gonna pino and i are gonna ask each of you this question <laughs> um i can go first okay. i have already shilled a little bit about auto explain and explain analyze so i won't talk about that again <laughs> But um, I will say that the number one thing that I think is helpful is trying is trying to trying to remove the the fear that comes with working with databases as an app developer. 
because when you're an app developer, you work with an ORM and it feels safe because it's code. And there's a certain fear that comes with, you know, using PSQL, even on, I mean, for me, even on staging, I was like, I'd be running, you know, select limit one. I'd be like, did I somehow include drop table? I don't know. I got to double check. And um, you obviously have to be careful. And I'm talking about non-production environments here. But as you start to feel comfortable using a shell, as you start to feel comfortable maybe executing queries outside of the ORM, this opens up those questions that I mentioned. It opens up behavior and new commands that you didn't know you could run. And it opens up discrepancies between what your ORM is doing and what it's running and why is that so much slower or faster than what I try personally. So I think that Although you don't need to use PSQL directly to be a good um, database engineer, I know people that don't and prefer, you know, DataGrip or prefer something else or SQLPad. Um, I think it's a great place to start because it gives you that springboard into depth first, like I was talking about, and um, you're really able to to start to drop the fear and to make databases feel like a known quantity instead of this black box. And Chelsea, would you say PG Admin is another tool that is approachable in the oh, same absolutely. way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't personally used it as much, just circumstantially, but I would say everything from PG Admin to Data Grip to anything like that is—it's really just the same. If you use a GUI, that's that's fine. I think PSQL will help with that a little bit more, but it's about—it's um, like I said, it's about dropping the fear. So whatever gets you there. Um, and you can always go back and forth between different tooling as well. Great, thank you. Floor, how about you? If you're going to do that, just, just one, one thing, thing. Floor. Yeah, so I love that Chelsea says dropping the fear, I would say seek out the fear. <laughs> so Ooh. getting out of your, <laughs> I know, controversial. Um, <laughs> I would say like really actively seek out um, to, to learn more about something that is not in your immediate uh, tool build or something that you have immediate experience with. Um, now I'm a, like a, I'm not a great developer but i'm a very um extroverted developer and so if i if i want to learn more um i want to seek out people inside my company but maybe also outside my company to learn more about a topic that i really want to know more about um and so i would really love for to see more companies these communities of practice do doing lunch and learns and and just learn more more that way um, I remember that, you know, like I, I moved to um, Berlin at one point uh, I, from from Vienna where I hosted a whole bunch of meetups when I was learning to program because, uh, you know, learning to program by yourself is, is um, I, well, for me, it's incredibly hard. I need a little bit of peer pressure. I need to uh, learn with others in order and, and explain things to others in order to, you know, like that, that way it will um, it will stick with me more and, and, and quicker. And so I moved to, to Berlin to work most oh, sorry, sorry mainly as a developer um and and didn't organize any of these events anymore and i uh, i just felt like my um my learning sort of like slowed down so much um while I, so i was thinking like oh i'll be working as a developer in uh you know like a, i'll i'll be doing this every day the whole day and that will you know like that will excel my learning because i'm i'm working with this day in day out and turns out it didn't um and when i started organizing events and again um that that again started to accelerate my learning so um yeah no actively seek out you know 
places outside your comfort zone and, and seek out knowledge from others. That's what I would say. So Thank it's you. interesting because you said seek out the fear and Chelsea said remove the fear and <laughs> you said controversy, but it's actually not that controversial. Like the, the thing that's going to help you remove the fear, I believe, is by rolling up your sleeves yeah. and just trying and doing. And um, I used to work for someone who who would say when they were trying to drive change in our team and the company and our mission was that you guys have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, <laughs> right? This, you can't just do the same, same thing that you know how to do blindfolded. You've got to get uncomfortable if you're going to learn and grow and succeed. So Maybe, maybe um, we can combine forces and say, seek the fear so you can drop the fear. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the case too that, you know, with, with, so first of all, that onboarding, uh, folks has to start including the data side and and then things like dev containers and pre-prepared environments for development um, help make it easier to just to, to get started because it's right there you can connect to it uh, you can make that part of the of the first steps in joining a project well i think that we have covered a lot of ground thinking about this, you're probably already using Postgres, you know, now, now what, right? Um, what you need to know. I think you guys have both shared some super useful, like things that you've done. Um, and uh, is there anything else, a question that Pino and I, for example, did not ask that you wanted us to ask that you really want to share with app developers, um, maybe based on your experience or what you've seen somebody else do? Oh, I, I thought Chelsea started talking, so I shut up. But, uh, no, no, you go ahead. I need to think. So, <laughs> um, maybe it's more a call to action to start learning more about databases. Um, what they, what I mean to you, what the, what place they take in in your world, right, and or what place they could take in your world. Um, and I really want to encourage people to start when they when they go on that learning journey to start um, teaching others early and often, um, and not think like this might be a journey that's only interesting to them, uh, because uh, I assure you it's not. So I'm, I'm. It's more of a call to action to for for people that when you start that learning journey. Um, grab others to to join you uh, to, to join you there, um, and and you will see you'll you'll end up with a really with a group that is incredibly enthusiastic about you know tech, tackling issues with this all of this newfound knowledge. Uh, I think that a conversation that we we didn't have that I think kind of t almost ties into it's it kind of mirrors the the conversation that we were having about. Um, about extensions in some ways and how to how to optimize how to get started is um, when you first jump into using Postgres, something that seems like incredibly appealing is configuring your server to be hyper specific. And although I'm a big fan of, of Postgres configurations, um, and you know the first talk of any kind I did was a lightning talk about them, so I'm you know big fan. But I think something that some sometimes when people jump into Postgres, they get overexcited about configurations when it's the queries and the access patterns that 
will show the the quickest and the most direct performance improvement. So I would say um, if you're jumping into Postgres and you're wanting to get the most the most benefit for your work, I think start with why are why are these queries running? Do they need to run? Um, do they need to have this many parameters? Why are they using this plan? And I think sometimes the less the less sexy work of doing going through a query by query is kind of it's kind of ignored a little bit or pushed off because people want to find the 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 master configuration that will solve all the problems. And though there are definitely configurations that'll help, uh, I think starting from that perspective of query optimization will 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 bring you a lot of benefit. Awesome. And maybe I'd like to chime in, and since Flora and Chelsea have 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 told us about um, entry points that make the most sense for app devs to get started, being more sa uh, becoming more savvy with Postgres, um, there's another approach, or, or or you should at least know about um, where you can you know find a lot more resources. So uh, in episode five uh, last month, uh, we did um, we had guests Ryan Booz and Grant Fritchie. And the topic was my favorite ways to learn more about PostgreSQL. And so in that episode, uh, you, you can find all the links that were mentioned in that episode at uh, aka.ms um, um, path to site is gone. And I'll drop that link in the, in the chat. Oh, that's excellent. Cool. Yeah, there was just a huge amount of um, ideas um, because people have written blog posts and um, they've created tutorials. They've written books. Um, there's conferences and people, not just um, Grant and Ryan and Pino and me, but all the people on the chat um, were just incredibly generous with the links. So the show notes are just a useful treasure trove um, of places to learn more. So cool. Well, um, I think we're at a wrap. Um, Floor and Chelsea, thank you so much for joining Pino and me today. Um, really, really. Uh, enjoyed the conversation and um those of you who participated in the text chat thank you so much as well um the next episode of path to CytusCon, um the podcast for developers who love postgres is going to be on wednesday september 6th at 10 a.m pdt for those of you who want to join the live recording here on discord and this episode will be available in the next couple of days thanks to our producers carol smith and aaron wislang um they'll be making it available on all the podcast platforms um, so shout out to Carol and Aaron for making this happen. Chelsea and Flora, thank you so much. We learned so much from you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you.